Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for EveryMind. Welcome to a special episode, but it's not just Founder Paul, but the HR Ninja Group too. An amazing group that is empowering HRs all over the country. Check out the link in the description to find out more. This week we're tackling supporting you and your employees. If you have any questions that you want answered, tag us on social media. We would love to hear from you. If you think EveryMind at Work could help your business, then head over to everymindatwork.com. If you found this episode valuable, do not forget to share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. And as ever, enjoy the show. So, yeah, guys, thank you for joining. Um, in terms of these sessions, I spoke to Liz, as I'm sure some of you or majority of you are part of the Ninjas group on Facebook. And we kind of said about potentially doing a every Wednesday, everyone grabs a, a coffee or a tea or whatever it is and just kind of comes together and people can ask questions about how they can support their employees during this time or it might be, you know, how you can take that little bit of a break as, as you all need. Um, Liz always tells me how busy everyone in HR is at the moment, but equally how little they do for themselves. Um, and, and equally, that's something that we kind of want with this, with this sort of session. So there's more people joining. So I'm just going to keep an eye on that and invite people in. But really, in terms of what these sessions are, as I say, it's kind of a weekly session where you can join whenever you want to. You can invite other people into the sessions. Um, and it's just a sort of time for you to just literally get half an hour out of work. Right. Um, but at the same time, you can ask any questions that you've got or share any insights that you might have as well. Lots of people already probably doing some amazing work when it comes to supporting their employees. So um, it's definitely an opportunity for you to share what you've been up to as well. Um, first question, though, use the chat box, coffee or tea. What kind of person are you? Um, just put it in the chat box. I'm more of a coffee guy, to be honest. Um, but I know some people don't like. I've oh, got two teas already. Look at that. Black coffee. Same as me, Sam. Um, Neva. Water. Green tea tea and coffee after dinner cool um just an icebreaker really kind of find out what people drink that's gin is it too early for gin probably not especially in your line of work i'm sure gin comes out a little bit earlier than than others others does so um never too early for gin exactly to give you a bit of context instead of me just being sat here in my living room um so i connected with liz from the ninjas group about six months ago now and um, saw the work that she was doing and me and Liz kind of connected straight away and I've been working within the space of mental health for the last four and a half years five years and um, whether that's doing talks in organizations doing resilience training or training or sessions or whether that's kind of going into schools and doing talks or whatever it is. Um, the reason why I do this is just, if I can help just one person who might be suffering in silence and not wanting to talk about mental health, then that's kind of where my focus is. And about two, three years ago, I came up with a concept of a, a business called Every Mind at Work. And the concept was providing accessible support to businesses and equally um, partnering with the companies to provide the company with mental health support and and that's something that we launched about a year ago and we've now partnered with just over 100 companies there might be one or two of, um, clients on here as well but this always for a personal reason I don't know how many of you have been on my other sessions but the reason why I do what I do is um, I sadly lost my dad to suicide when I was 18 and that's for me you know never expected it never imagined to be sitting here talking about mental health and mental illness trust me when i say that um was a very distant reality of where, what i believed mental illness was um but really kind of do what i do every single day to try and encourage people that might be suffering in silence and a key part of what we're going to be talking today 
is that stigma and the stigma that kind of causes people to suffer in silence. So that's the main question that I want to tackle today, but there's also some other questions and equally I want to kind of open up the floor for you guys to, to share your questions as well. So each week we're going to have a different topic. We're going to scour the ninjas group and see what people are asking and we're going to focus on a specific topic. But then as I say, it's kind of an open floor everyone can ask questions or share their own insights as well. But the key focus today is, is stigma. Um, now, when it comes to stigma, the reason why my dad never reached out for help was because of stigma, right? You know, if I talk about how I feel, then I'm going to be judged. Um, I'm going to deal with this on my own and so on. The reason why I didn't seek help when I was really struggling was the same reason. None of my friends were talking about mental health. No one at work was talking about mental health. So I am the only one dealing with what I'm dealing with, right? So that's where stigma has such a big impact. And many organizations would always say, we don't have a mental health problem because no one talks about it. So does that mean you don't have a mental health problem? Or does that mean that stigma exists where no one feels comfortable to talk about mental health? especially when people realize mental health is something that we all have, right? It's not just, you know, a small minority of people that deal with mental health. It's, it's something that we all have and we all have to deal with. So when we're talking about stigma, is it the fact that you have such a closed culture where people don't feel comfortable to talk about how they feel and how do we tackle that? And equally, when it comes to stigma in the workplace, it's pretty much reflected of what we see outside of the workplace in a society. So I'm sure all of you agree with this. Awareness around mental health is dramatically increasing. It's getting better, but we are still huge sort of paces away from where we need it to be. Now, I just want to do a quick little test on you guys. Use the chat box and do not judge yourself for the answer that you might give. When people say stigma does not exist anymore, um, I always ask this question. So put in the chat box. What's the first word that comes to your mind when I say the word mental? So what do you associate with the word mental? Okay, so some of you are good. Some of you have, have potentially maybe changed your association with it. But if I'm honest, my, my association with it, similar to what a couple of you have said, is crazy. It's mad. Um, and I talk about growing up, my perception of mental illness was straight jackets, padded cells and personalities that didn't look like my dad. So I never, ever gave it a second thought. So when I was struggling to talk about my mental health, I think one of the key reasons why is my association with the word mental is crazy. So why am I gonna to want to talk about my mental health if that first word that I associate it with is crazy? Um, equally as well, if we talk about mental health. So the first word that comes to your mind when I say the word mental health, don't have to write it, but typically we will naturally default into mental illness. So when I say mental health, we'll say depression, stress, anxiety, and so on. Again, that's why a lot of us, especially maybe older generations in the business, won't want to talk about mental health because they associate that with mental illness, which their perception is straight jackets, padded cells, and what they were kind of bombarded with by the media. So again, stigma is something that it's so, so difficult to tackle. And the way that I sort of explain it is this, in your organization, you have this huge brick wall and there you are with a little kid's toy hammer, just like doing this, just like knocking at the wall, and you can chip away and little brick will come off and then you're back and you're chipping away at it. So whenever we're looking for that tick box, that quick fix, when it comes to mental health stigma, it doesn't exist. So it's constantly evolving and trying to always change it. And here's a couple of sort of suggestions that we've put together. If you are worried about stigma in the workplace and 
one of the key ways that we look at tackling stigma is that encouraging and empowering employees to share about their mental health. Um, there's a lot more talk about vulnerability now. And some work that I've done, um, there was a bank in London, a, a big bank, and one of their CEOs was very vocal about his mental health and how he's struggled. And you could see an automatic sort of change and shift in stigma when a senior leader stood up and said, this is me and I struggle. And they were okay with that vulnerability. Equally, it's okay to empower people that aren't in a senior position to talk more openly about their mental health. I don't know what it is, but whenever I do sessions, I will always share my personal story at the beginning. That almost breaks a bit of the ice, brings the barriers down, and then people now feel more comfortable to share. So that vulnerability piece and encouraging employees to share is really important. That could be just a piece that goes out in your newsletter. It could be if they feel the courage to stand up in one of your all hands or your team meeting and, and talk about the importance to them. You know, there's there's so many employees that are potentially have been through some form of adversity that might want to share. And it's encouraging them to do so. It's getting involved in those awareness days. Again, what I would just be conscious of is don't just get involved in awareness days, but those awareness days are a really kind of um, good way of just encouraging more conversations, whether it's through communications or whatever you're doing, it's kind of standard, but you know, make that conscious effort to talk about mental health as often as you possibly can. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but I've been told this once or twice. If you come into the organization and you do a talk, are you gonna open up a can of worms? Um, which typically means if I come in and talk about mental health, does that mean that I'm going to make everyone have a mental health issue all of a sudden and now no one's working, no one's productive and I've caused more of an issue? And I think we need to move far away from that now. You know, that isn't the case. We're not causing an issue here. What we are doing is bringing it to the forefront and making employees feel a little bit more supportive with that as well. So make that conscious effort to talk about mental health outside of Mental Health Awareness Week and World Mental Health Day and so on. And again, it's difficult, but trust me, when it comes to International Men's Day, busiest day of, of, of my work career, when it comes to Mental Health Awareness Week, I'll have back-to-back -back talks. And um, when it comes to World Mental Health Day, same thing again. So it's okay to involve stuff on those awareness days but let's just do a session on tuesday afternoon because we want to make sure that mental health is still consciously spoken about within the business and it isn't just happening once once a year because mental health is a, a 365 day problem embed mental health conversations in different ways um just put a yes in the chat box if you've potentially got employees already that you just know do not want to talk about mental health they might be of an older generation they might be men they might be just people that just say, oh, we don't want to talk about this at all. So that's, again, lots of yeses and trustees and I'm sure lots of probably the decision makers as well. Um, so you're up against that force of stigma and lack of education around the importance of, of mental health. So younger generations seem to be more open. So when it comes to how can we openly talk about it, you've probably found this. If, if, if I was to run a mental health session for your organization and you was to title it mental health talk with Paul, the mental health guy, no one's coming, right? Or people are coming, but it's going to be that cohort of people that would typically always show up to, to these sessions. So how do you, of course, it's important to have that cohort of people that really, really want to sort of, you know, 
focus on this and and get involved in it because everyone's important but how do you embed it into the conversation that reaches the people that just don't want to talk about it and i think a lot of that comes down to the language that you use and equally as you've said how you embed that in um so some things that i've seen successful are doing like physical challenges. So it could be like a, a walking challenge, a running challenge, you know, whatever it is, a physical challenge that involves the, the employees. But as part of that, you embed mental health into the conversations. So you try and embed it into that sort of challenge. So you're actually selling it as we're doing this physical challenge, you get people involved, and then we have more of a conversation around mental health and the importance and, and so on. Um, it could be, who is the speaker? You know, you look at someone like, again, this is very difficult, but Tyson Fury has a way of getting to guys because he's the heavyweight champion of the world, or he was, right? So when the heavyweight champion of the world says depression's a real thing, I've been there, it makes guys say, oh, hold on, if he's talking about it, then I can talk about it as well. So I think personal experience is key. And if we can get people that they can relate to, to kind of break that ice, I think that's sort of another way of doing it. Um, the other sort of tip that I've got, and there's a really good charity that do this well. The charity is called Calm Campaign Against Living Miserably. You might have heard of it. Um, done a lot of work with them. So they focus on men in particular and male suicide. The way that they reach people is via football, via com comedy, via coffee, via just your everyday stuff that you do as guys. But they then embed again mental health into the conversation highlighting that suicide is the biggest killer of men under 45, highlighting that it's really important. But they embed that in a way that I'm going to a stand-up comedy night, but now I've got it to the forefront and we're now talking about it. I walk away from that event and it's kind of, you know, front of mind as well. So it's not kind of um, misguiding them, but it's just embedding mental health in different ways. Because you might have done this before where you do a mental health webinar, you have the same people that show up every time around. Um, the, other, the other sort of way that I would say it is kind of embedding it into your day-to-day, -day, your management check-ins. You know, one of the questions they could ask them is, you know, how's your mental health today or whatever it is, embedding it into your kind of check-ins or your team meetings as part of a standard is another way of kind of making mental health conversations the norm in the workplace. And, and then finally, just knowing that this stuff is an ongoing task that takes time. When I, when I decided to leave my old business, leave all that behind and say, right, I want to focus on mental health, whether that's charity work, whether that's this, whether that's whatever it's going to be. Um, I said to myself, I've got to give myself a huge amount of time. And there's a fire in my belly that makes me want to do more of this stuff because obviously, you know, I've, I've had the experience with my dad. Um, but at the same time, there's a big part of me that knows that this will not change overnight. My, my, I've got two young boys, right? It might, it might impact them, but I equally think maybe by the time I'm a granddad, I might sit there and say, hold on, now the conversation's moved. So like Joanne said, the younger generations, they seem to be more open. And I think for us to eradicate stigma completely, it's gonna be that ongoing task that takes time. So how can you kind of embed that into your day to day? And the good thing when it comes to reducing stigma is it takes a huge amount of time, but you don't have to spend a huge amount of money on it. It's purely more of a communication, sort of focusing on what's your intent behind why you're doing this sort of, you know, approach rather than we need this amazing tool to be able to sort of tackle stigma as well. So that's sort of the really, really key element. And, and trust me when I say this, it's not the sexy stuff that everyone talks about, but if you cannot eradicate stigma, mental health first aiders and employee assistance program, training, whatever it is, it's worthless. And communications, it's worthless because 
you know, you might train all your managers and spend a huge amount of money training your managers, but if stigma exists, I'm not going to go and talk to my manager about how I feel because I feel like I'm going to be judged or my performance is going to be judged, etc. So really what we try and always say is stigma isn't a sexy topic, but it has to be front of mind to try and change that because then that will effectively complement everything else that you're doing potentially when it comes to mental health as well. So um Put it in the chat box, guys, or jump on the microphone, whatever you want to do. Um, do you feel like stigma exists in your workplace? Um, do you feel like it still exists? Either, like I say, put it in the chat box or jump on the microphone. It's up to you. And let me say, don't be ashamed of, like, if it, if it does exist, because it exists in society as well, right? Um, even though I'm very vocal about mental health, I'm sure because of my old conditioning there's times where i sort of add to that stigma or bottle it up or don't talk about it as well so we've got not, certain... not think as well paul it's, some, it's also about um ignorance you know people some people might not necessarily have, have have actually come across anybody um and and i mean i was talking to some guys the other week about um about this very subject because we obviously we you and i had a conversation um, I've not been able to progress that yet, um, but that's partly because sort of chief exec level is not interested. And I know no matter how much we try, he won't be interested. It's going to have to be the level below him that we engage with to try and implement this. And as long as he's okay with giving us a bit of a budget and what have you, and he'll sign the the, the invoices off. And um, so I, it's, I'd, I'd be interested to know what, what the guys think on, on the call, actually, in terms of, you know, if they've managed to persuade somebody from that point of view um, about how important this is. I yeah. haven't yet. Something we're trying to do because we've got quite a number of staff that have got um, mental health, mental wellbeing issues. And some are definitely afraid to speak out because you're right. They do get judged and you can see that well, if I say this, and I'm off because of this, then I am judged about am I competent to do my job. And equally, I think at some of our managers, I think they try to be supportive, mm -hmm. but they go so probing that it comes across more bullying and pressurizing somebody to be in work. Like I had a recent example of somebody chatting with me and the individual said, you know, I called up to say, I really couldn't get myself out of the house. And all I get from the manager is, well, why are you feeling like that? Maybe if you took a bit more exercise. I think they think they're trying to be helpful. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And um, whenever I do senior management training, it's more about, it's just natural. I did it with my dad. You, the way I, the way I suggest is ask, listen, signpost. But what we all do is ask, listen, solve. And I think that's what, in that example, that manager's trying to do. It's like, he's trying to solve that person's problem for them. Like, why don't you go out and do some exercise? Or why don't you do this? And why don't you go that, do that? And that's purely because in that situation, you might feel vulnerable. If I don't help this person, then something can happen. It was the same yeah. with my dad, you know, it was very much dad, like you've got nothing to be depressed about. Why don't we just go for a run? And, and there was never, and when I was in that moment, all you need is someone to, like you say, show you a bit of compassion, listen to you and, and signpost you to the experts. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very difficult. And, and like you say, it's that lack of education and lack of understanding as well that causes a huge amount of stigma. Yeah, and we have one that you particularly, they delve so deeply at the point of somebody's calling in to say they're unwell, for whatever reason, accept it on the day. You can have those conversations when somebody's back, but they go so deep into, oh, what if it's, what if you try this? And they think that they're a medical expert. That's the other issue. 
So if people are reluctant then to say truthfully anything because they know they're just going to get throat. Yeah. That's really interesting, Yvonne, because I think uh, we, we have a, the, the flip side of that where the conversations aren't in-depth enough. The managers don't know what to say. It's a bit like when they're just having a normal, difficult conversation with an employee and they sort of back off. And they, not, you know, when I say to them, well, you can ask if they've been to the doctors and if they've got medication. Oh, can I ask that? You know, and it, it's really interesting that you've got the, the opposite side of that spectrum. That's quite... Uh, quite... Yeah, I've got one or two that think they're medical experts and I just <laughs> have to cringe. Yeah. when I see their notes. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where I talk about everyone has their own levels of resilience, right? So if if I'm a manager and my someone in my team is telling me how they're really struggling, you know, working from home on their own, <clears throat> my, my mind will naturally kick in and say, why are they worried about that? I've got X on, I've got this, I've got that. Yeah. And like you say, then it's more, now that whole dynamic of that conversation changes because I'm judging that person. I'm like, saying to myself oh they shouldn't be worried about that so all they need to do is this and i'm trying to solve it for them as you've said so it is it's a difficult one and i think as as you was alluding to joe like education is so key like i i i still need to educate myself on some mental illnesses i'm sure as well but i talk about how i added to the stigma when it comes to ocd you know on, on the first talk that i ever gave four and a half years ago um, I made it, I made something where I said, oh, you won't like this slide because, you know, it's, it's all messed up. So if you've got OCD, I'm going to move on. And I, I, I watched that back because it was on YouTube and I just cringe um, because, because it's awful, right? But, but it's awful in the fact that now I know more about OCD. One of my partners has OCD and he talks about his own story and his own journey. And, and it's completely different to what I believed it was. Back then, my education was what I was fed by the media, which was like, if you've got OCD, you're clean and, and that's it. But actually, the reality of OCD for a lot of people is if they don't do something in a certain way, they have intrusive thoughts that can be very dangerous and, and very impactful. Okay. So it's, it's like you say, it's education as well, especially for the older generations that um, they need to see it in a different way to how they currently see it, which, which adds to the stigma yeah, as well. Yeah, we've got a culture here because the company I work for, a lot of it, we've got a cohort of employees that have been here 15, 20, 25, even 30 years growing up with the company. And I think at some point that used to be a badge of honour. And I think now it's a badge of blocker because mm. they are just the people that are the blockers, the stallers. And they don't want to change because that's how it's always been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, trust me. I'm sure everyone's heard that before a lot. It's always, yeah. always fine back then. Um, there's, there's lots coming in the chat box as well. One that I wanted to share was the introduction of mental health ambassadors um, by Sam. That was something that, again, I've, I've seen a lot of um, evidence behind being very effective. One of the reasons why sometimes I prefer ambassadors or champions over potentially mental health first aiders. It depends on how you embed the mental health first aiders, which is one of the next questions. Um, but when it comes to ambassadors or champions, it's if, if, if the communications just come from HR and the business, it's very one dimensional, right? So people are gonna kind of switch off from that. They might be judging saying, the company's only doing this because they have to or whatever. I'm sure there's, again, lots of stigma involved with that. But if it comes from the company, it comes from HR, equally it comes from Dave and Joe and Jane or whoever it is as part of your ambassadors, and they're equally talking and driving the kind of mental health agenda in the business, that's hugely, hugely beneficial to tackle that stigma. So um, as Sam said, that's sort of improved stigma when it comes to 
their business when it comes to mental health ambassadors. Um, but equally, again, one of the key things as well is making sure they're supported, making sure um, the ambassadors are supported in the business too. Uh, there was another one as well that I just wanted to sort of point out. Um, Chelsea says, totally agree. I worked with a CEO who thought it was the, the new bad back. He sharply changed his mind and view on the reality of mental ill health when his teenage son attempted suicide. Following this, he signed off a budget, he championed awareness sessions, and he supported with the implementation of a support service too. I couldn't help but wish he had been more open and acknowledged it sooner. Yeah, and Chelsea, that is like the reality of this, right? Same with me, didn't give it much thought until it happened to my dad. And again, speak to so many people that have that same approach to it. And one of the reasons why I believe that is, is it's still in that reactive approach. You know, we're very much focused on the proactive side, but mental health is still very reactive. Like we, we won't do anything as a business until a crisis happens. When a crisis happens, we'll rush and do something about it. Employee assistance programs, you know, I'm not going to get into it now. It's, I, think, I think they're very broken. They're a model that's going to dramatically have to change at some point because they're a model that is worked on. Hopefully people don't ring us. You know, if someone's in that crisis point, they can ring us. Um, so again, when we're looking at, employee assistance programs that they're, they're good to have in the business but let's not make that the only support service that you have because it's a very reactive approach like you said Chelsea until someone's at crisis then we're going to do something about it so it's kind of you know flipping it a little bit more and and tackling stigma is a, a big part of that anyone else want to share in the chat box or on mic um, I know there's a couple on here anything else that you've done to challenge it any ideas any insights that you've seen that's that's been beneficial Yeah, we've actually had, um, we've got a set of ambassadors within our company and unfortunately it was very reactive. Um, so three years ago, we actually had an individual who experienced um, a manic episode. They had bipolar and it wasn't until then that we really sort of kicked off the fact that we need to absolutely be supporting everyone in the business. Um, and off the back of that, we created obviously our ambassador, so wellbeing team. We've got a few people who are first aid trained as well, but we've seen such a difference in the business to have those voices throughout. So it's not just coming from myself in HR or, or wellbeing, it's coming from your peers, I suppose, mm -hmm. and being able to talk about it. So yeah, definitely a step in the right direction. And I'd encourage people to, to definitely try and embed that in the company. Yeah, that's great. And again, it's, as you say, it's coming from, from different people, like, you know, I, I share my personal experience, but, you know, it can really, really hit home with some people. And then for other people, it kind of has an impact, but not as much. Whereas, you know, Dean, who, who does talks on bipolar, as an example, could come into the organization, talk about his journey with bipolar, um, you know, and, and other people might react well to that, too. So it's as you say, the more personal experience, the more stories you've got, definitely the better. Um yeah, so I really like that one as well. Um, what further support do you provide for ambassadors in the workplace that are not HR out of interest? I don't know if you want to answer that as well. Was it, was it Joe? Sorry, go on. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, no, sorry. Sorry. I, that's all right. Names. Um, Even when it's in front of me, I'm rubbish with names. Yeah, so for ambassadors, we tend to have sort of monthly meetings, if not sooner, if they need it. What we tend to do is if, for instance, there has been a situation they've been involved with, so someone's flagged a mental health issue, then we will talk about it, obviously, confidentially within that meeting to say, there's been an incident, this is what's happened, I struggle to support them, what would you advise to, to do if this was to happen again? And we also do sort of scenario 
um, sort of role playing as well, just they've got that support, but always being around and open to, to listen to them as well and anything that they're going through. So there's lots of support for them, constantly training. Um, Paul, I know you've got loads of stuff online, so I always sort of signpost them to, to, to that as well. There's so much out there to, to have a look at. So lots of lots of support for them. Nice. Um, and Joanne says, is that a HR role to support them? It, my role is split, so it's a bit of a difficult one. I know there's sort of this stigma around having HR promoting well-being because they're the people to go to when things go wrong. Um, but I am head of people and well-being, so it's kind of a dual role. Um, so it's difficult to answer that one. Yes, it is, but that's because part of my job is well-being. <laughs> <laughs> that's when it gets even more confusing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, this is a really, it's a really, as you say, monthly check-ins are important. I like the idea of role-play. Um, whenever... I'm involved in training. I never just deliver training and that's it. Because again, when it comes to mental health in particular, there is that tick box element that I'm sure a lot of companies will embrace. And if you train 50 managers in resilience or mental health awareness or whatever it is, then just saying tick, we've got 50 managers without embedding them into the business, doing monthly check-ins with them. As um, Jenna said, doing role play, you know, it, it's one of those that I did assist, which is suicide first aid training. And it was a two day course, really insightful kind of, you had to do role play in the session where I was in crisis. Someone was talking to me to try and get me out of that. And then reverse, I was trying to talk someone out of that crisis situation when they were potentially feeling suicidal and, and even role play. It's not real, but it's, it's, it's so it kind of, you know, it almost makes it a bit more real. And, and the thing is, as you say, with mental health is you can do a two and a half hour session and then six months later, someone is in a crisis situation. How do you deal with that? Um, you know, do you remember what you learned six months ago? It's not something that you can easily remember. So I like the idea of role playing. Um, but yeah, similar to what Genesis, we encourage those monthly check-ins with ambassadors, potentially getting sort of some support for them as well, because same with you guys in HR, I'm sure, you know, who, who supports you if people are always coming to you with what they're dealing with. So it's, it's trying to keep them supported as much as you possibly can as well. Um, conscious of time, guys, and I also want to take any of your questions that you've got. And, and this is a, a question that come in. Um, I believe it was from Tracy. And, and this is a question that I thought was a, a good question because I'm sure a lot of you, again, can relate to this. But um, similar to what we've just sort of spoken about as well. So the question is, how do you support the mental health of remote group of 50 mental health first aiders that are based around the UK and Ireland in our organization? They're all newly qualified as a MIAS. This is all new and unknown. So mental health first aid as a as an initiative is obviously accredited in terms of almost like the standard of what people expect. So there's a there was a big campaigns. I don't know if you saw it like um, you know, it was, I think it was called Where's Your Head At? Basically, a campaign of every company needs to have a trained mental health first aider like you would have a trained first aider, as an example. So I can definitely see more emphasis being on mental health first aid purely because of that kind of, as I say, accredited sort of standard status. But one thing that we've seen companies do dramatically wrong over the last couple of years is you'll know what I'm going to say. We've got, we've got 50 mental health first aiders, tick. Um, we're done. And, and there's a huge danger in that because when you do mental health first aid, it's a two day course and you get a booklet. If someone then comes to you, who's just had a manic episode of bipolar, are you qualified? Are you re ready to deal with that situation? 
and should that sit in your responsibility? So not all companies, but I've seen some companies that will say, okay, we'll go speak to one of our mental health first aiders then. And, and that's, it's, it's dangerous, right? It's dangerous and I'm sure you'd agree with that. So even the fact this question is sort of saying, how do we support them is, is definitely the sort of thing that we need to be thinking about because if you've got 50 mental health first aiders, they're taking on sort of, you know, people's conversations and they're being the people that you get signposted to. It's important how, how, do you, how do you support them? So I think similar to what we were speaking about and what Jenna mentioned, potentially doing like monthly sort of check-in sessions with them. Um, there's a tool that we use. And again, you can use it or you could get an external partner to come in and sort of, you know, do these check-ins as well, something that we do. Um, there's a tool called menti.com. Might, we might use it next week, menti, M-E-N-T-I.com. And that creates like anonymous polling. So one thing that, you know, we do a lot when it comes to mental health is try and make it anonymous. Like our apps anonymous, the sessions that I run that are interactive are anonymous. You know, potentially as we next week, I might do it, you know, it will make it anonymous. So you guys can ask more questions and vote and, and whatever. And it's anonymous. No one will know. And, and when you do that with mental health, it definitely opens up the conversations a lot more as well. So when you've got 50 mental health first aiders, you could do a monthly check-in, you could use menti.com or, or whatever it is to do some sort of like interactive polling, get some questions in, make it anonymous, and, and you're going to get much more sort of feedback and data that way. Um, other things as well is, is just, just checking in with them, making sure they feel supported. And again, tackling that stigma element. You've got 50 mental health first aiders, but how do we know that people are going to go and speak to them? You know, I'm working with Joe my whole life. Me and Joe have a relationship. Now Joe has just gone and done mental health first aid. Stigma still exists. I'm still not talking to Joe about my issues. That relationship does not change because he's now a mental health first aider. So really what we want to encourage is that fact of how do we have more conversations with mental health first aiders, ambassadors, and other people in the business um, as well. But yeah, working remote does make it more difficult. Um, I've seen other companies create potential, depends what communication channels you use, but like Slack, different Slack channels for mental health first aiders or, um, you know, different ways of communicating with just those 50 mental health first aiders and just encouraging those open conversations to talk about scenarios anonymously of what they've been through and, and has anyone else experienced that and what advice have they got is also key as well. But yeah, just, I would say make it a monthly occurrence for them to meet um, as well. Um, could I ask how you roll that out to shop floor staff who don't access the PCs? Um, Victoria, roll what out, sorry, do you mean? Um... Yeah, when you were just talking then about surveys, um, anonymous surveys, we do quite a lot with um, mental health um, and it's quite easy to do it across the office staff or remote workers, but I struggle with having to do, to be fair and consistent for the shop floor staff, especially during COVID where I can't do the walk arounds that I would normally do and speak to people on a one-to-one -one basis. So I'm just wondering if anybody struggles with that and, and how you guys do that for shop floor staff as well as office staff. Yeah, I mean, has, has anyone else got any other ideas on that? I think that would be anyone in a similar sort of industry? No. <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> It looks like you're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, you know, one of the things that, so we work with some companies in the retail space and obviously, you know, we have an app that's anonymous, sits on their personal devices. So it's kind of there for them. And of course the app's anonymous, but that allows us to gather some insights and data. Right, okay. Share back with, with you. So there's other ways of doing it. Have you got, 
can you ease one of the biggest challenges that we see in the retail sector is, is being able to communicate with them so do you send them like email communications do they get do you get a good response from that or not we um, we used to have company meetings and we did a lot of face to face, but during COVID we've gone back to the old style newsletters, which are not the best. But that's the way that we're having to communicate um, by handing pieces of paper out because we're just we're keeping departments separate and we've got a lot of our team at home working. Victoria, yeah, I work in a multi-site organisation as well, and if your if your internal communications are printed, you could try QR codes as a way to try and get them to then go online using their personal device if your oh, communication isn't coming from that. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Thank you. I like that. And again, it's like yeah. um, when you use that menti.com, M-E-N-T-I, or if I was to do a session with them or whatever, if you can get them on a, a webinar or you can get them on a Zoom call or whatever, then you're almost getting that live sort of survey data as well as part of the session. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I you know, I just had a couple of conversations with head of wellbeing at Tesco um, and, you know, they've got, again, a company like Tesco, amazing incentives and bells and whistles and support for their staff. But their biggest challenge is, as you probably know, communicating to all 280,000 people or whatever it is. So that is that is the biggest challenge. Um, but yeah, I would kind of just potentially in the email communications, as you say, encourage them to to fill out a survey or whatever it is, if you can get them on a session or as part of your team meeting that that's mandatory for them to join. Um, it could be part of that session that you do some anonymous polling using that menti.com or um, that suggestion of obviously QR codes, if it's sort of more physical printouts could be a really good way of doing it as well. Yeah, it's a good idea, the QR code, thank you. Cool. Um, so yeah, so hopefully that's kind of answered that question. Um, another question that I've got is how often should I do mental health based event like a lunch and learn resilience training? Is it monthly, annually? Um, as and when is needed, I feel like we're not doing enough. Um, I think if you're asking that question of, I feel like we're not doing enough, then um, potentially do a bit more would be would be key. There's no sort of set time or date that you should do this. It's more about, as we say, trying to embed it into, into the organization. The biggest challenge that I'm sure a lot of you will have the same sort of issue with is time and budget. Would you agree with that? Just say yes in the chat box if you do. Um, you probably want to do more, but like how much time do you have to do more? Um, because you're also juggling everything else as well as part of your role. So how do you consistently, especially if this isn't just your focus of, as you say, health and well-being, you know, if, if you're also focusing on so much more, how do you make sure you're constantly sort of tackling that stigma and focusing on training and making sure employees are supported if you don't have the time? And then, you know, the other one is budget. You know, how do you do resilience training if you don't have budget or lunch and learns or, or, or any of that? So it's about just, just trying to make it as part of, as I say, the everyday conversation as you possibly can. Um, one of the things that obviously we do is partner with companies. We send them comms for every key date. We build out like a roadmap. We deliver everything as much as we can. So we make it as hands off for you as you possibly can. Um, and again, you know, some people like to take all of the comms and share it out. Other people don't. They like to maybe sort of tailor it or tweak it. Um, and that's sort of, you know, the kind of flexibility of the sort of partnership. Um, but yeah, I think with this, it's just as long as you have the right intent, one of the biggest challenges that I've seen is we're doing this because we feel like we have to do it. So don't focus on the what, focus on the why. Not, oh, we are, we've done resilience training. And then when I say to you, why have you done resilience training? And you can't answer that question. 
I think you have to sort of start answering with the why first. Why are we doing this? And then what is it that we're doing? For too long, we've done the what and then not the why. So, oh yeah, we've got this, we've got that, we've got this, we've got that. Um, so really, I think with this kind of question, think about the why you're doing it. How does it fit into your strategy? Is it going to have an impact before you start to think about the what? Um, this question is a business we're focused on making our workplace more open and compassionate, but worried that some employees will take advantage of that. How do we get around this? So I want to open up the floor for this question as well, because this is a question that I get asked a lot, and I'm sure you do as well from directors of the company. As I say, are we going to open up a can of worms? If we say that, you know, we're a company that supports mental health and, um, you know, we're, we're, we want to support you, are people going to take advantage of that? If we give them days off, if they are struggling with mental health, how do we know if someone's actually having a day off because of a mental health challenge or they're just skiving and they want some time off? So um, I don't know if you guys have got any experiences of this. Anyone want to share? Okay, Tracy said, um, manage it by the individual, which I think is a key one. Anyone? I think it actually makes it easier to manage people when you are supportive because it, you don't get that backlash of, oh, the company does nothing for me. Um, so particularly when you're performance managing somebody, I think, I think it's actually more helpful when a company is more supportive. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Tracy. And I, I think they give a little bit more back I think, you know, that extra 20% that we always try and unlock from our, our teams, I think they are more willing to give, give more when they're getting something. Yeah, I agree. And I think like Jenna says, like similar trust your employees and you'll get respect and engaged employees back. Um, and if there is a thought that it can be taken advantage of, this feels like the starting point. So it's, it's as you say, it's really like as part of the whole core values of the business and the hiring process, isn't it? And, and there's been organizations that I've worked with, some small, there was an organization of about 45 and they had one member of staff who was off for anxiety. And um, I'd been in, I'd done talks. They also provide coaching to their staff. They were very sort of proactive with mental health. And there was just that one employee that was off for a long time with anxiety. And, and they were very supportive, flexible with when she worked and when she came into the office and so on. And, and then, you know, her manager saw that she was posting stuff on Instagram of being in Ibiza and, and all of this stuff. So, you know, when, when does it then become a business decision, right? And I think as, as, as you've said, there's no point ignoring mental health because you think this is going to become an issue where every employee now takes advantage of it. There's no denying that I'm sure there will be some people that take advantage of it. But the same way that some people take advantage of sick days, right? I, I remember when my, my first job, I'm not coming in today, I've got a tummy bug, right? Was I, did I have a tummy bug or did I go out the night before, have a couple of drinks and just couldn't feel, feel like getting up on a Monday morning going through what I was going through? So, you know, there's always going to be those, those, those situations. But yeah, like you said, it's about encouraging it more it would definitely sort of provide more support for, for employees. And, and equally, when you're looking at the kind of, again, if you're thinking about getting senior buy-in, um, mitigating risk point of view, employee tribunals are, are up. And, you know, one of our clients is a, is a company called Gamlin's Law. And I, I did a webinar with her and I'm happy to share that with you guys. And, and she said, again, you know, if you're looking at a case where the company does absolutely zero for their employees and someone makes that sort of claim versus a company that has tried this and that and been compassionate and tried to do as much as possible, then, you know, there's, there's, there's one clear winner there. So I think, as you've said, it's focusing on that compassionate element is, is key to, 
to building that into the business as well. Oh, can I just add a point to something you said early on there? Like sure. one something I've tried to do for years is remove that st stigma around somebody that's got issues or off work, particularly with mental health issues, and they're on holiday or God forbid they get caught smiling on social media. I know that if I'm in that state, the first thing I want to do is go on holiday and escape. So I really try and change people's perceptions around that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's again, education, isn't it? It's the fact that we still have this perception that for someone to be struggling with their mental health, they have to look and act a certain way. Um, and it's kind of, as you say, educating them on that. And yeah, it's, I mean, if you look at like my dad, like I always say, my dad on paper, full-time engineer, part-time physiotherapist business, um, psychology degree, lots of friends, stable career, four bedroom house, wife, two kids, smiling all the time. Like no reason that man should ever take his own life, but it happened. And you see it again with celebrities. The first thing that someone says you know, Caroline Flack was what a year ago um, this week. What she got to be depressed about, right? You know, what's what she got to be worried about? And it is that misconception still and that lack of education. So there's I don't think that I've got an answer to that actually. It's more of just, as you say, educating them on the fact that mental illness does not discriminate, it has no face. It doesn't matter whether someone's smiling, they can still be going through something and, and getting them to understand that. I think it goes, even if it's not just mental health, it goes across anything, isn't it? When you see an employee, if they're off sick and then suddenly they're doing something, you think nurses would be the most compassionate. But I worked at a hospice in a previous role with somebody off with stress. And then because they were going to run a half marathon, oh my God, for their colleagues, the world had ended and they were winging it. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, and also like Joe says, doctors sometimes prescribe employees to take a holiday. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also like you say, that whole, that unconscious bias and that unconscious shame in that if, if um, you know, potentially someone's underperforming, you know, and, and we kind of say to ourselves, oh, you know, why are they underperforming? I've got this going on. I've got that going on. It's stuff like that that we've got to try and eradicate. But as, as, as you kind of highlighted, that's definitely something that comes back to the stigma element. And it will take a lot of time to try and get around that as well. Um. Last one, I think. Um, working with business for six months, feedback's been great. However, how can we get more employees engaged? Some employees are resistant to get involved with other things related to mental health. So I won't repeat myself, but I think, you know, just going through those examples of embedding conversations into the business, reducing stigma will help. The other thing as well on this, like I get it a lot, you know, oh, we've got 30% of employees engaged with your platform and we want to get to 80%. We want to get to 90%. And I am up against a force and you are up against a force, again, called stigma. So us getting 90% of the employees engaged is very, very difficult. So again, when we're looking at this and the same with your communications, whatever it is, I've been there where you maybe you get disheartened, you put something out, no one comes back. You run a session, only the same people turn up, you know, you're not reaching any more people. But actually, it's about focusing on how what are those people how are we helping those people so if we're only helping 10 percent of the business you know what's the impact of those 10 percent what what impact are we having on those 10 percent equally how does that 10 percent that we're helping and impacting have a knock-on effect to the rest of the business or the people around them equally how does that impact their family their friends everyone at home you know whenever i jump on a talk 
if I've got 100 people, if I've got 10 people, if I've got five people, a thousand people, whoever it is, I just think to myself, just one person, if I can just help that one person on this session, it goes far deeper than just them, because it will impact their family, their children, everyone around them. So there's still, as I say, this misconception that how do we track ROI? How do we make sure everyone's engaged? If we're spending this money, how do we make sure the whole business is getting involved in it? I don't think that's ever gonna be the case anytime soon because you're up against stigma. It's more about what impact are we having with the people that we're supporting and the people that we're helping? How much of an impact does that have on the business and them in general as well? And with time, that 20% will turn to 25%, 30%, 40%, 50%, but it definitely obviously takes um, time as well. It's 10% more than we were helping before, and that could be 10% that need the help, exactly. And again, when it comes to especially directors and potentially the older generations, it's getting them to realize that that 10% isn't just the people they think it is. And that comes back to the original point. We have this natural sort of reaction that, oh, I know who's, I know who's using this platform. I know who's getting that support. Um, it's these people. That 10% could still be your highest performing employees that are vital to the business that you don't think are, are struggling with their mental health, but, but they potentially are. So it's about realizing that, you know, it's always a, a cohort in a business that need that support more than others. But that cohort isn't who we typically think it is. It could be, um, you know, other people within that as well. So, you know, as you say, I don't think you're ever going to get 100%, but just strive to always increase it and always sort of tackle that as well. So guys, um, has anyone got any questions or any insights they want to share? Um, just say no in the chat box if you don't, just so I don't sit here just waiting for, for questions. But any, anything that you want to share at all? Okay, good stuff, good stuff. No worries, no worries. And then last thing that I want to sort of leave it with is um, also as well, um, how are you going to support yourself today and this week? So put in the chat box, how are you going to support yourself today and this week? And we're going to make sure that we all hold each other accountable. So what are you going to do today um, and this week that's just for you? So that little bit of 10 minutes of you, 15 minutes of, for you, whatever it is that we have to carve out of our day. And it's so difficult to carve out 15 minutes to just look after ourselves. Um, but what is it that we're going to do? We've got um, mindfulness from Jenna, time away from my children, like that, Tracy. Um, read a book, Sam, booking some me time, some more reading, doing some walking, Cheryl. Um, Sophie just started counseling this morning, first time experience, good stuff, Sophie. Definitely, again, we need to move that conversation around therapy that you don't just go to therapy when you're broken. I see therapy and counseling as almost like personal training for the mind. So equally, as you say, like making that a proactive approach, take a walk outside, fresh air, doing some reading, take a walk after my next meeting go for a quick walk, go for a walk, lots of walking. I subscribe to the Feel Good Book Club run by Samaritans. Check it out if you like reading. Chelsea, good recommendation. Do a facial, reading, lunch breaks. Lots of you guys like to read, right? Maybe we'll do a book club one week. Um, I've got Thursday and Friday off, so not a lot to do. So guys, thank you so much for joining this session as well. Um, what I'll do is I will share this recording out if you want the recording. Um, Chelsea, yes, we're gonna do these every week. So now you've signed up to Zoom, then you can join this link every Wednesday. You might just wanna 
put it in your calendar, whatever it is, every Wednesday, 1 p.m. We're going to hopefully get more people in this group. There'll be more discussion, hopefully, as well, just not me talking all the time. Um, but hopefully it's been beneficial for you. If you need anything as well, guys, um, just drop me an email, paul at everymindatwork.com. If you want to dive into this stuff any deeper, if you want it specific to your business, we couldn't get around to that on today's session, then um, just feel free to drop me an email as well. All right, guys, thank you so much for, for joining. Enjoy the rest of your day. Go do your mindfulness, your walks and stuff like that.